I started getting involved at that point more socially with people in school, the community. And that's when I got introduced to the OG of the uh, the gang I used to be a part of. I believe that was at age 12. He was like, hey, you know, your family told me that you're hungry. And I told him, yeah, he'd bring me groceries. And then he'll invite me over to the hood. And he says, you know, you can have family. Things will be moving and you will hear like, like in the doors or, or, or in the windows or scratches and I'll get scared, right? Never experiencing things like that. And they'll be like, hey, it's okay. There are, there are guardians. They protect us and they will help you if you call on them. But it comes with the price. So what is it? That you have to dedicate your life to them. One of them took out a knife and he just took one shank. Boom! And I felt like any other person that gets stabbed, if it was a sharp pain, I couldn't breathe, I felt like I was paralyzed. I would hear like doors closing and opening, but yet no one ran to me. I knew I was gonna die. When I was three years old, my dad passed away. He, uh, he was in the Navy. He used to work in the boats, shipping back and forth between countries. He met my wife, my mom in California, in Los Angeles, and uh, she was a model at the time. And he was, he worked in the ships. They had an encounter shortly after. Hello, I pop up. And um, about two years later, my dad developed skin cancer and he had passed away. My mom was devastated. She was just broken, just torn apart. We moved out here shortly after I turned four years old in Tucson, Arizona. And just being brokenhearted, you know, not being able to move, move forward with our lives. You know, me as a child, you know, I have uh, sisters from my mom's side of the family. I was uh, maybe, five, six, I believe, where they uh, turned 18 and just took off. They were done. They just were waiting for that moment. And it was my mom, myself, and I. And I remember growing up, really abusive home. In Mexico, we have these cintos, these belts, the vaquero cintos, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Metal buckle with metal stubs. Anything I did to trigger anything, I used to get that. Dishes thrown at me. I had a couple of dishes throw, uh, broken in my back. I remember it as, as crystal as day. Things like that because of her anger. So the spirit of anger, of defeat, of, of grieving, right? Not being able to move forward and, and not knowing Christ at that moment. She grew up Catholic. I went to a Catholic church twice. I just remember, you know, going and, and seeking God, you know, and, and for what I knew who was God and having no peace having no rest, you know, at home. And it came to a stage where my mom would party in and out. That was the only way that she found temporary relief. And we'll have parties every weekend. She would come home from work, six, seven p.m., five, sometimes I'll get out of school. Back in the day when school used to get off at 1.15 p.m., you know, not 3.10. And then uh, third grade, key to the house, second grade, the key to the house, walking home, I lived right in front of the school. The crosswalk lady used to just, you know, watch me go inside the house and just wait for my mom. I remember my mom used to um, come home from work and I eat once a day. I eat whatever's at school and then she'll bring me a meal from the restaurant, which was her meal. So she wouldn't even eat just so I can eat. And she would walk to the door and be just stumbling drunk, throwing up everywhere, you know, at times. And um, sometimes, you know, I would say 50-50, she would walk to the door and um, just start yelling. You know, did you clean the house? Did you mop? Did you sweep? Did you do the dishes that you dirty? Because you eat all the time. That you do your homework. Let me see your homework. One little thing I did wrong was a beating. Big, severe beating. And um, at times she would just throw up. She would walk in, running inside the house, trying to go to the bathroom and just throw up all over me. I remember I'd be like, hi, ma. You know, 
Hola, ma, ¿cómo te fue? You know, how you doing? How's your day? And running towards her and then, you know, down my face, my hair. I remember just thinking, my mom is sick. You know, she's always so sick. I would take her to the bathroom. You know, she would I'd be at the blackout stage already. Her when your eyes are kind of like just fluttering, rolling back. And I'll clean her off the best I could. Take off her shirt, her pants, lay her down, cover her. You know, as a kid, right? Six, seven, eight. Clean up the house, shower, and go back to watching Power Rangers of Batman in a dark house by myself. No friends, no family, nothing. Just myself. And I just, most positive thing I can think, you know? Oh, she's sick. I hope she gets better. Um, it's okay, you know what I mean? We're gonna go play sometime, we're gonna hang out. It happened occasionally when she was sober. But usually when she, we were flatline broke, broke and the restaurant wouldn't give her alcohol or nothing. And I was grateful for those times. And one thing that I, that I noticed that led me to my addiction at eight years old, that was an alcoholic at eight. I used to see the beer bottles laying around, right? Just laying around the counters, the table, botellas de Jose Cuervo, Bacanora, which is Mexican moonshine. Just everywhere. And to me, it was a norm. You know, the word of God says to teach our children, you know, in the way they should go so they don't depart from it. But what was I learning? Drinking cigarettes. I started to pick up on that. It's normal. I'm thirsty. Instead of getting sink water, I'm going to get one of the beers. Like my mom does. It's, it's, it's a soda. It's like a Sprite. You know, we learn habits like that. I used to drink it. And I remember I did not like it. It would make me burp all the time. It was disgusting. And I'll drink like the alcohol and it would burn my throat and it would be like hurting and pain for a couple days or scratchy. I would cough all the time. School thought I was sick all the time. And that's when I started experiencing getting drunk at eight years old. And to me, my mom never noticed really when the, when the bottles were, would be low because to her, oh, I must have drank a lot last night when the beers. Sometimes I'll get beat because she would notice certain things, you know, certain beers laying around because I would get drunk and I'll fall asleep. And I got sucked in deeper and deeper into addiction and alcohol. And I remember just feeling really sick, feeling like my skin was turning red until I started learning the side effects of alcoholism and the withdrawals. And I started getting really angry all the time. And and I don't know that I was so so depressed, but I would cry for no reason. My emotions would be fluctuating all over the place. And I remember that it felt like something was yanking me from within my body. My Like, like my soul was twisting and, you know, straining or, or, or just getting rid of the water from a towel. And it was painful. Then I would slow down and I thought that if I smoked, it would go away because every time my mom drank, she would smoke cigarettes. So I'll go in the backyard, I'll get dried grass because it's Arizona, our normal day is 104, right? And I'll crumble it or just get it and get a piece of paper from my notebook and I would roll it up. I would roll it up and I would even lick it, but it wouldn't stick. So tape it and I would smoke it. So who knows, man, I got a, uh, man, I got a farm of grass probably, you know, that I smoked and, and thinking that it would help me, but it would make me sick. And I'll throw up and just feel nasty. And I'll go to sleep because that's what my mom does. And wake up feeling worse, go to school. And I love school. Shortly after that, you know, it was a continuous cycle. The parties got longer. I remember my mom tried to find um, love in other men. And they would come to the house. I would be in my room sleeping or hanging out. And I would hear things. I would see things. There will be the women, you know, that will come to the parties. And the men that would, you know, utilize our rooms, you know, no explanation needed. With that being said, I see my mom as well. She had a relationship with this man, which they're really good friends now. And you know, I mean, everything's straight. He would beat her, he would beat her. And I, I remember I'll try to run to my mom and I would grab her and, you know, turn around and try to like shelter her. You know, me at that point being like 
10, 11, trying to fight back, but, you know, getting smacked and never oh, close-fisted punched, but I would get beat with her. And I remember uh, this one time where we were both, we both got smacked really hard. My mom went flying, hit her head, you know, bruised face. I got backhanded across the head this way. And we were both backs behind the wall. My mom was like, you know, curled up with me, you know what I mean? And and I'll be trying to like be brave for her, but I was afraid. And we would, we locked ourselves into this room because we ran in there and he was banging on the door. Papa, abre la puerta. Abre la puerta. Vamos a morir todos. We're all going to die. Open the door. And my mom crying and, and me, leave, leave. But in Spanish, lárgate, vete, vete. Déjanos en paz. And, and just crying and so afraid that I was going to die. I uh, legitly believed being nine, 10 years old that I was going to die uh, with my mom. And, and my mom's like, it's okay, Polito, todo bien, you know, just he'll go away and eventually it will stop. And we would sleep there and I wouldn't go to school. And my mom would make the brave effort because we had two doors to go out the side to see if he was there or sleeping in the couch at times. At times he would leave door open in the front door and then we'll have a breather for a couple hours until he would sober up and what happened? That was his first question. Many times um, he knew what happened. I started getting involved at that point more socially with people in school, the community. And that's when I got introduced to the OG of the uh, the gang I used to be a part of, you know. And um, I believe that was at age 12 that I started talking to this OG, which is the leader of this of this gang, right? There was a nasty gang war. That was back in the times where gang members used to walk the streets, red, blue, or brown, back and forth in groups. And it's not for the street. It's for the business happening in the street. That's why thugs want to take over territory. They don't care about the streets or the houses. They care about the drug labs, the prostitution homes, the, the bricks and the yayo and, 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 and the marijuana, all that stuff that was hiding in the houses because there were stash houses and cops never knew about it. That's why gang members will take over neighborhoods. You know, and a lot of people didn't know that. They just thought it was about a color in the neighborhood. It wasn't. Having that said, I remember he came to my house once. And he was like, hey, you know, your family told me that you're hungry. And I told him, yeah. I'm very hungry. What do you eat? I remember our fridges used to be empty. There would be a gallon of milk here and there and bread and cheese and it would just, just go bad. And I would go to the fridge. I wouldn't even ask my mom for food, being afraid that I was going to make her upset. I would pick the, the molded parts of the bread and put cheese and eat that. Or I'll pick the wrong parts of the brick of cheese and just bite it. Sometimes we didn't have food and I would just drink water and water trying to get full. And it was a temporary fool, but it only made me feel worse. Like when you're so hungry and I didn't know what to do. And the cafeterias ladies will pack up like two extra lunches on the weekends because they knew that I didn't really eat over the weekend. And I didn't know about social workers and uh, therapists and asking for help at that time. It was just, oh, this is normal, right? I didn't ask questions. I didn't stick around to see other kids, parents or anything like that. I'll just go home. So with that being said, he'd bring me groceries. I thought he would do the first two, three visits. And then he'll invite me over to the hood. And he says, you know, you can have family. You can be family. You tell a kid like me at 12 years old, 13 years old, that I can be family, that I can say I love you and hear it back. I fell in love. And I remember going over there, excuse me, um, and feeling like I was home. I would feel like I had brothers sisters you know um 
I would feel like I belong there. And that's all I wanted to do and all I ever wanted to be. And, and we were eating chiladas and he would buy burgers, pizzas. And I'm like, man, man, we got money, you know? Not knowing the truth, you know, that, that lies beneath that, right? And he won me over just like that. Having that said, that's all I wanted to be. After school, I'll go, I'll, I'll go to the hood and just stay there. My mom sometimes don't even know that I was at home because she was coming, stumbling, go to sleep, wake up and go to work. I would get up by myself with an alarm clock, get ready and go to school and come back, come home. And my mom, you know, trusted that I was doing that. And times she would freak out not knowing where I was and I would come home and she'll go looking for me and, you know, and then she'll reach out, you know, to my tia or whoever else, you know, which, which not blood, just friends, you know, because of friendship. We came to Tucson and they'll be like, oh, he's over here. As I got older, I started being involved more within the gang, you know, the gang affiliated members. And I would see hood fights in the park there. I'll be a part of those hood fights where opposite gangs will meet up. No guns allowed. We're going to fight this like men's, right? There'll be, there'll be people with chains, with baseball bats. And, you know, I would um, see a lot of things, backpacks going back and forth, coming in and out of houses as I, as I go to school or as the other, uh, uh, other, other thugs would, we know would go or whatever, you know, transporting things. I, I would witness these things and, and other stuff. And I thought that, all right, this is how you make a living as a grown adult. You know, and they would say, you know what? You don't have to work. No, no full-time job. You don't have to go to school. We make more money than doctors. We make more money. Yet, it was all coming with a price. I just began to store all my riches here on earth, money, and I made so much money to not see it now, and, and drugs, and alcohol, and I would get homeless people to go and buy alcohol for me, and, and the other hood members as well, and they would come out and not give us our money back, so we would jump them, beat them to a pulp, and, and take our money back, and, and take their money, and just go to some abandoned complex and just, just begin to get high. You know, I began to drink. But at that moment, at school, I bumped into this one kid, right? We were playing some sport. I would lie if I told you what sport it was. But I know that we were out in the field. Come to find out, he was on my team. I talked to him, right? And he lived in my street. He was around my age. I was a year older than him. And he told me, hey, we should hang out. It's just me and my brothers. It would be cool since we lived together pretty much in the same street. So I started going to his house, right? I'll still go to the hood. But I started, like, making outside friends, too while other things were expected of me to take care of, responsibilities, right? And their family were, were devil worshipers. They were satanic members, which is devil worship, right? No other way to put it, no excuses. And I remember that they received me with such love, even more than the hood life, right? And, and the dad was super nice and super sweet. Mom was like always catering to us, food, water. The structure there with their children was so beautiful. They spent time together with their kids. They were read together. Not ordinary books though, right? The Satanic Bible and the Book of Fallen Angels, I guess they would call it. We'll explain that in a moment. And they would sit, the, 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 the dad would sit with their son, with, with, you know, with my homie from, from school and read with them with his arm on them. And I'm like, wow, things I don't even see in the church nowadays, right? And he started getting me more involved and it made me want to go even more, at least for the little bit after school until I got picked up to go back to my dad's house, the OG and all my brothers, which are the thugs. And, and then it started getting weird. Then I started spending the night over there just to hang out. We'll go to school together. Things will be moving and you will hear like, like in the doors or, or, or in the windows or scratches. And I'll get scared, right? Never experiencing things like that. And they'll be like, Hey, it's okay. 
There are, there are guardians. They protect us. Well, I got scared. Yeah, I know. They're letting us know that they're here. It, you should be scared when they don't let us know when they're here. And, um, okay. So next day, I told them, hey, what's up with these guardians? Well, they protect you, you know, from anything, you know, from, from danger, from any, like, you know, any sadness, things like that, right? And I was like, who are they? These are angels in heaven. This is him talking. And, and the dad will come up and reinforce with scripture, which was satanic scripture. And he will say, these are the angels that came down from heaven for us. Because God wouldn't do anything. God would just watch and let the downfall take us down and set its roots and just get worse for us. And next thing you know, we're destroyed from inside out and God would do nothing. And I'm like, man, God, the creator, I guess. I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. He's supposed to be a good guy. You know, he'll just keep going on with that, right? True colors. And so these angels came down because they had compassion for us. And they want to help us with their supernatural power and protect us and give us give us power to like raise more up to send them out to protect others from God because and from other angels and things like so he was explaining that the angels are pretty much Jesus in a sense, coming down for us to save us. Now, Paul, was this the first time that you remember hearing about God? It was. I remember going to a Catholic church um, because the only, I, I, I went in twice, you know, the first time, you know, we almost get drowned by the, by the, by the preacher, you know, and the baptism, you know, and then the second time was because my mom wanted it out of addiction. She didn't want to drink no more. And we would do the same old rituals, you know, you know, get on our knees, everybody repeat, you know, go looking for God rather than understanding that God's here looking for me, right? relationship other than that that's my first time hearing you know about demonic and i didn't know about jesus and nothing like that it was mi diosito santo that's all i knew so what would someone my age or even you do if you didn't know god and you're going through beatings and and depression and addiction and and low self-esteem and you're told that you're worthless right you shouldn't even been born and and things like that right you know that you're a piece of trash and you're gonna grow up to go to prison one day and you know that's what you know uh, uh my sisters from my mom's side told me once because the lifestyle I was living you're gonna go to prison you're gonna die in prison that's who you're gonna be just just prophesied negative things over me right glory to god that i'm here now and and um what'd you do if you heard that there's an angel, not knowing the truth, that came down from heaven that can protect you, I sought after it. And I told this man, I would like protection at my home because I get beat really bad. I don't have food to eat. I eat in the cafeteria. I beat up other little kids and take their food because I'm still hungry because they won't just give it to me. So if I mean to them, they'll give it to me and I just need help. And he said, I'm sorry you're going through that. Look at son. First time someone called me son, sit down. And then he put his arm around me. And my buddies, all the brothers are walking around, right? Well, he one was four years younger than, than the one I knew. You know, they wouldn't even bother me. They were so okay with it. And he would tell me, this is a book with so many angels and they will help you if you call on them. They will be there, but it comes with a price. So what is it that you have to dedicate your life to them? If they're helping you out of the goodness of their heart, why would you turn away from them? That's like not appreciating them. And they're angels. And you have to give something up. Like, what do you mean? Just bring me anything that you love. It can be whatever it is. So I'll bring my little Power Rangers. I remember the first Power Ranger episode. I'll bring it to them. The, the, my most treasured possession. It could have been a toy. It could have been whatever. They don't care. You just have to give whatever you love the most. 
And he exchanged it for that book. And he said, read this page, read that page, read that page five, six times until you feel peace. So I read this page and a half of this angel that protects against pain and anger and everything else that has that's affiliated with, with what causes depression and fear. And in the end, I had to recite this. It was so wicked, pretty much telling it to come up and come into my life that, like you do with Jesus, it was, it was such a replicated image of the Bible. It was disgusting. I would read it and my hairs would stand up. And you have to invite them into, the, into your heart, right? Open the door of your heart. He would always say that to everybody. Pretty much connect. He said that to your kids, you know, feel. And things got worse. You know, in my house, my radio, those old school Sony radios with the boom boxes and the knobs. Ooh, I love those. It would turn on into like a heavy metal radio station, KFMA and all this stuff, right? That plays like Slipknot and all this other satanic music. And my door will have scratches. So I'll recite more scripts, more, more satanic scripture and read more pages in regards to like protection against evil spirits. And soon after, I will see six super huge demonic figures. I can see the body outline like I can see you right now, but I couldn't see a face. I would have this paralysis over my body that I couldn't move. It was hard for me to breathe. I would... <sighs> like if something was like pushing in my chest, right? I would see the sides of my bed pressed down and, and I'll close my eyes and I'll try to scream, Amma! Amma! But it was like if I couldn't speak, fear. And I'll let a squeal out or a scream out. Here comes my mom running, very upset, right? Hungover. Why are you screaming? And... I started telling her about this and I started, she started taking me to Catholic churches and it'll get worse. I'll go to Christian churches, some that still stand now. They'll pray over me, wouldn't go away. And I don't remember none of the message. I, it was like if I had earplugs on uh, when I was in church, I couldn't remember nothing. I can barely even hear nothing. I don't remember ever hearing about the name of Jesus. Like if the demonic entities were like trying to hinder that, right? Mm. When a lot of people think that demons can't come into the church, nothing worked. I went back and talked to him and he said, well, this is bad. You know, it seems like you're under attack. We need to give a sacrifice. And they said that they did it weekly. So he says, come on the weekend, on a Saturday, I don't work. And I'll go over there and the house was empty. And I'll go. And the dad opened the door. Oh, come in, son. I'm like, hey, thank you. We would walk to the backyard and there was just the satanic like a, a pentagon right pentagram and there was what one two three four five spots corners and he would sit down and, and and then my buddy and his brother would sit in the other corners and the other brother was nowhere nowhere to be found i, I never asked where he was or whatever so i'll be lying to you if i told you where he was it was like look it was perfect there's a place for you right there which was in the bottom two corners of the pentagram right and i would sit there and it was red. It was gunky. It looked like blood, but really bright blood. But I can't tell you that it was blood because I didn't see them lay it out. But it, I'll tell you what, I'm almost positive it was blood. Sit down. So I'll sit down and he will stand in the middle, say a bunch of stuff, satanic stuff. And then he will move to his corner, right? Which was the top, like the tip of the star, right at the top, which signifies the head of the sacrifice which I've never talked to him after, like a couple weeks after th this happened, he gets, he goes inside, he gets a cat and he says, you know, to be able to be blessed in this life, we must sacrifice life. He would get the cat, he got the cat. You know, a cat was friendly, super nice. He grabbed it by the top of the head, 
And I remember that he he kind of did this, which was putting the head, the, the you know, the cows like this. And he went like that, grabbing the arms like this pretty much and hands right here. And then he just snapped it. He would just thank the devil. He would call him God, uh, Lord. He would thank him for this life that's going to inherit all of our wrongful doings and blah, 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 and all this other trash. And he stabbed it like upwards. I remember this. He got the candy, stabbed it upwards, just blood gushing out. And just like, you know, in many false religions, they sprinkle holy water on people, right? He was sprinkling that on his wife and on the boys. Like he'll walk and he'll just do this and he'll just do that. And he'll do this and he'll do that. He'll do this and he'll do that. And then he got to me and he says, Lord, this kid is suffering hunger abuse he's being tormented by the evil spirits that god is sending protect him and i feel this warm gunky just it was disgusting you know like kind of like sensation coming from my head right in the center dripping down my neck it didn't come up my my front dripping down and and he was like squeezing the life out of this cat you know pretty much the blood out of this cat into me i just felt like it was so wrong and taking account that I was reading this satanic Bible, I was with them and being coached and discipled because they make disciples like they take no breaks. And I was being discipled by this man and everything was okay. I was completely receptive to it all. But this one thing was like, this is wrong. It was hard to breathe. And I don't know if you ever felt that when something goes wrong, it's you're like, <gasps> like I'm, I'm leaving, you know, and I stayed there. And we finished it. He drank a little bit of the blood, you know, and um, I was just shocked, you know, and it was over. I got up. I went to go shower in his house. He gave me another outfit. He kept my outfit. He washed it, returned it the next day. I didn't want to go back over there. I knew that it was wrong what happened because if this is really a good God and, you know, which is the devil and the angels are here to protect me, why would you kill this cat? Not knowing, right? a lot of uh, uh, of the meaning of it and what they were replicating you know because the bible says that the devil's an imitator right and then that's when things got nasty i started getting bruises in my body my back would burn really bad and i'll have scratches i cried to my mom for help and that's when she slowed down a little bit in drinking still being an alcoholic because she would she would see me right really like suffering and afraid and i had no answer i didn't know what to think i didn't know what to feel I don't know what to do. And back in the hood, the, the, the OG, right? We're just talking about the Santa Muerte. Like we're worshiping the wrong God. You know, that's, that's satanic. But hey, you know, if it, if it helps you and Santa Muerte too, and all these false gods are being thrown at my face. And I was looking for an answer my whole life to never really understand how I can come to a point to understand that there's a way out, like the Bible says. I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't talked about love or God. I never had kisses. I never had hugs. I'll get beat so hard. I would take, they'll be taken to Mexico because there's bruises, uh, bad bruises. And I would stay in Mexico. That's what my mom would tell, you know, my sisters, you know, from my, my mom's side. And in the school that I was over there for vacation because blah, blah, blah. Little did they know I was all bruised up. I came back to the United States to be silent. Mexican traditional family, no? You keep your mouth shut. You don't say nothing. This is family. Everyone has issues. You go to school. You come back home. You do your chores. You do your homework. You mop. You sweep. You do your bed. You do my bed. You massage my feet when my feet and my legs hurt. You do what you're told. Or you're a bad kid. 
and bad kids go to hell. So I knew about hell, but not heaven, not God. Now, Paul, talk to me about uh, when Jesus came and met you and when you started to get mm. to know who he was and yeah. how he took you out of all of these gods, you know? My mom reached out to a church of a youth pastor and he would go to my house and pick me up. I'll be drunk, I'll be high, and he'll take me. Never once did he accuse me or, or condemn me. He just took me as I was. And that's when I started hearing about Jesus, you know, 15-ish, right, 16-ish. I told them that I was pushing a lot of things that I shouldn't have, enslaving people to addiction and a lot of gang-affiliated crime and and things, you know, as a, as a kid, you know, that I, that I don't want to be a part of. And he said, well, we're going to pray. I'll pick you up. And it started to disappear from the church, not going to youth groups. And he found out, I don't know, if, he must have been a super investigator or something, because one day he showed up at the OG's house, at the in the hood, you know, at my dad's house, asking for me. And then the homies, all the thugs will come up and be like, what do you want? You know, he's with us, homie, and and things like that. And and they'll be like, hey, this guy's asking for you. And he'll be like, hey, God bless you. I'm just here to take him to church. You don't want to go to church, homie. You want to die? It's okay. He comes for me. And I would, even though I was really rebellious and stuck in the criminal life, I was obedient and submissive to my elders, right? And uh, that's one thing my mom taught me, you know, you respect your elders. It's okay. He's here for me. My mom sent him or something. And I would go and get in the car. He'd be like, what are you thinking? Hanging out with those guys. You know what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, well, at least I have family. That's my dad. Those are my brothers. No, they're not. And just telling me things, right? The whole way to church would be like, look, I just love you. And I want you to live, to have kids and be married and be a man of God and like whatever let's go to church you want me to come didn't you I'll go I got my fair share of warnings through God's messenger right this youth pastor and we will have barbecues at his house you know youth little sessions at his house and I just didn't want nothing to do with it because God wants to see me suffer because I'm weak he doesn't help me as I was taught by the same worshipers the satanic members right I just kept going with the gang life at 16 I had my daughter I had my daughter and having this girl, this little, my little princess, my oldest, right? Out of all my seven Parson kids, right? Looking at her, I remember, I saw the picture of the first time I held her and I looked at her. It just made me fall in love. And I said, I can't live this life no more. I remember that um, I looked at her and a lot of like the experience that the women in the hood, right? In the gang would, 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 would have with the men. I would think of my daughter, like... 18, 20, 19 years old. And I would say, no, no, I do not want that to be my baby girl. And, and I didn't want nothing to do with that. So I told the OG, and I was like, I, I can't do this no more. You know, I appreciate you, familia. I love you, but I can't do this no more. He said, you know, carnal, that the only way to get out of here is a casket. When we beat you to a pulp, you were explained that. Your family now. You're going to quit on us? And I was like, no, I just... I want to have that eight to five you said that we don't have to do. I want to go eat like all these, all these people do outside, sit outside, drink coffee, whatever. You know, like you don't even like coffee, homie. And I was like, I know, but look at them. They're not looking over their shoulders. They, 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 they ain't carrying a strap trying to, trying to see who, who's going to shoot them. So they got to shoot back. They're smiling. People look at them and they wave. I told them, people look at me, Papa. And they're disgusted. 
Like if I'm some piece of trash little thug. And I am, I told him. I'm a piece of trash. I want to be the dad that this girl needs because I never had a dad. Well, what am I? And it was just an argument, right? And I was like, look, please. I just want to go. I want to work. He said, no. So I just kind of shut my mouth. Didn't argue much with them. Okay. My daughter wasn't with me at that time. Te veo mañana. Te veo mañana. I'll see you tomorrow. And I went and gave all the homies a hug. That was my mistake. That I love you. And, and as I walked out the door, he was looking at me, right? I didn't leave so nonchalant. It was pretty much a goodbye. But I was young and dumb. And he was like, hey, no te acuerdas quien te dio de comer? No se te olvide. He was like, don't you remember who gave you something to eat? Don't forget it. This is familia. And I was like, no, papa, si me acuerdo, and I'm very grateful. I wish I could pay you really, like, everything back. You still can. You got debt. And that's when I found out that that was in love. He was raising a soldier. I left. I got into my 88 Cutlass Oldsmobile Sierra, right? And they came out. They got in their car. Oh, they're probably going to go to the store. I drove out of the hood. They come after, you know, drive behind me. And I, we're all going the same way to get to the freeway. But I made a left turn in another area that goes by a school, right? It goes all the way around the school and then I have to come back this way just to see. There they go. And I knew what was going to happen. I stepped on the gas and I was panicking. I knew there was two lieutenants coming after me, which is what we call the enforcers. I had a similar role. I was like a jack of all trades, right? Because I was a young one, so they utilized me for a lot because no one would suspect. And the enforcers, you see one of them. They're either going to collect, they're going to kill you, or they're gonna beat you to a pulp with the warning. I knew I was gonna die. So I hit it and I was just panicking, you know, and 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 I drove neighborhood in the neighborhood street after street trying to lose them and I hit a cul-de-sac, <clears throat> you know, a dead end. They kind of come, I was like coming, turning to turn and they come, I jump out of the car. When I jump out of the car, I start running. They start running and they, they, they pretty much, they flank me. And I was like, look, I just want to live. I just want to be a dad. I just want to love my daughter. I just, I want to, I want to give what I never had to my child. Sorry, carnal, pero we got to do what we got to do, homie. We need every single soldier. We're family. We don't leave each other for dead. I took a beating. One of them took out a knife. I got stabbed here in between the ribs. Glory to God, in my lungs, nothing in touch. It was, it was a stiletto, right? You've seen the stilettos, right? And he just, like, come on, let's go, do it. You know, too many people here. And he just took one shank, boom, and I felt like any other person that gets stabbed, if it was a sharp pain, I couldn't breathe, I felt like I was paralyzed, um, every single movement hurt, and the cartilage in between the ribs, I believe, and the, and the meat, it lodged in between them, in between there, and in that area, you know, when we carried knives, we carried knives that either had like, you know, the holes in the center, or the grooves, so it can just be like butter, in and out, but the stilettos are not like that, so it got stuck in there. He was like, let's go. And I remember I was screaming, fighting, trying to, you know, but I can barely move. And it was excruciating. And it came to a point where he just put his foot on my rib and yanked it out, ran, jumped in the, in the car, took off. And I was laying there. I was trying to get up and I couldn't. I would hear like doors closing and opening, but yet no one ran to me. They were afraid. I laid there and I was bleeding. I was bleeding out. And it's real talk how people say when you die, it's like a, a black dark hole and then life and that's it. Like the Looney Tunes, remember back in the old days? The hole, you know, all dark. That's exactly how it went down. And I remember laying there and I was like, just laying there trying to get up. 
and I couldn't. I felt like I was gonna pass out, like the life was being sucked out of my body, and and I was already laying there looking, at, you know, to the sky and to the heavens, and I was like, God, if you really are good, if you really care about me, if you love me, please save my life. I want to be the father my daughter never had, and if you do this, I will live for you. I woke up in the ED, right, in the hospital, and they go and they run, they, you know, they knock on the doctor's office door, and you know, he's awake and he comes back and the doctor's like running and he goes, Paul, he goes, yes. And he goes, we don't understand how you just woke up. You lost so much blood that you should not be breathing right now. You should be dead. When you came here, you lost so much blood that your heart should not been able to function. Your brain, you should have been, you should have been a vegetable. Long story short, glory to God, I, I, I left the, the hospital and I started living for God. I started trying to find an answer. I went to a Catholic church, a couple other churches, and found no peace. So I ended up going back to that church that I remember, because it's still there. I remember the street when I was a kid that the pastor used to come and pretty much yank me out of the out of the trap houses. It was a Christian. I remember what denomination. I think it was a Baptist church. And I started hearing about Jesus. And then later on, I got a good job at a store before it was cricket. It was called Jabber Jab Mobile, right? I started selling phones and that's when I started to have structure and I would miss church. I would not go for a little bit, you know, I'll just be the, the typical bench warmer, right? I'll go and sit down and listen, the spectator, go when things go wrong, do what I want to do and just repent Sunday because God's a God of love, not knowing that we cannot mock God in the lifestyle. And my daughter starting to like learn and listen and talk and I was proud of myself and I remember uh, that I went to the Tucson Mall, to this store called Hollister. I used to shave my head bald, plain white tee, whatever, pro club with my Dickies and my Cortez, right? That was my, my, my style, I just shaved my head. And I walked in there and I told this girl that was walking around, you know, I wanna look like that homie right there. She look at that and she look at me and she look at the, you know, the preppy boy up there and she look at me, like him, I'm like, yeah, okay. And I was like the Ken to the Barbie. She'll have outfits for me and take me to the dressing room. And man, I never had a tighter wedgie than those times. And, and and I was like, is this normal, right? And and she's like, yeah, this is how they dress. And I was like, am I going to get a discount? Why? Because these pants are ripped, bro. And they're like, no, that's the style. And and I remember that I walked out and how, you know, with my daughter. And I remember this man with his family walking by and he smiled at me and he did this. And I was like this. And then I learned from him, this means like, hi, or hi, this is more like intimidating. So I started doing this instead. And I did this, and instead of being like, what are you looking at, homie? What, you, you want a picture? And just getting aggressive, I just, this is what I asked for. And things started coming into place. Things started happening, and the Lord started to reveal his way and his love and his mercy. And he took me through uh, a You Are Worthy boot camp, right? Because the first thing when I started knowing about God is remembering that I'm so unworthy to even sit in this church. So God taught me self-worth and respect, and and that's literally the deal I made with God. And I'm so happy that God's a man of His Word. He's He's a man's man. He's a man of His Word, and now I'm here. What happened with the gang, right? Because uh, you're in this situation where, I mean, the way that you leave is in a casket, and they tried to kill you, but you lived. What happened with them? So in the 2000s, in this gang war, murder bodies found down south six it was all over the news and 
There was a war between the Bloods and the Cribs. So the OG died. He was murdered. The whole honor system of we're going to scrap this in the park. You know, we're gonna, if you die, you die. If you get injured, you're injured. If we win, we win. It was done. It was nothing but. Instead of walking the streets with chains, baseball bats, and brass knuckles, it was just a 45 o'clock. A gun started coming into play so much. The lieutenants, most of the gang died. That was my ticket out. Because I was in the run after, you know, I got to the hospital. They knew I didn't die. And because someone had seen me. And then the, the rival gang members had seen me. And But they were too busy trying not to die themselves, protecting the families. I don't know what happened with any of the family or anything like that. The lieutenants died. There's a couple in prison for life, I believe. But I bumped into one at the swap meet, which is an outdoors. People sell their belongings that they don't want in a tent. And you just walk outdoors back and forth. And we looked at each other. And I came up to him. He goes, look it, look it. I'm done. I got kids. I'm done. And I was like, no, me too. And I was fresh into the Lord. You know what I mean? That's, I was like 20-something. And uh, like, like 21, 22. I got fully saved at 20. Free indeed at 21. When I became obedient to the word in my lifestyle. And I was like, me too. He goes, you too? Yeah, I'm done. Like a breather. I got good just thinking about that moment. And I was like, me too. He goes, okay. What you been up to, carnal? And I was like, well, I'm a man of God now. I got saved by Jesus. Oh, Jesus, huh? Yeah, you should go to church. Uh, it's not my thing, but I'm a good person still. So, you know, I'll see you in heaven. And at that point, I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I believed it because I didn't know that it's not by our works, right? It's through our faith, right? Our commitment, our loyalty to God. I look at him and I go, give me your number. He goes, look at us, eh? I think it's better if we just go our separate way. Shook his hand, bah, bah, you know, right, SAA. And we went our separate ways and never seen him again. I don't even remember his name, to be truthfully honest with you. I don't know where he went. I don't remember his face. It was just a complete, like, complete erased moment of my youth with this man. He was more younger to the to the to the to the gang than anything. I was able to get away because no one I was a grunt. No one remembers you. No one knows your name. You're just you're just a punk running around, whatever the grunt work so i didn't have to report to the lieutenants up in the other side or anything i that was my ticket when i heard they all died and things i started coming out more going to the swap meet more going to the movies more things like that and didn't have to carry my ruger right my 45 and all the time and things like that i was more at peace because he kind of told me he was the one that told me what happened that this dude died that dude died he's locked up for life for murder and he's this and he's that and and that's what happened to the gang yeah it wasn't bloods. It wasn't cribs. But I can reassure you just by looking at me right now, you can probably take a guess. Yeah. Now, Paul, how long have you been walking faithfully with Jesus now? When I made my deal with the Lord, you know, when I just had turned 19-ish, you know, after, you know, 18, right? Yeah, 18, 18-ish, you know, 19-ish. Um, I was just the same old man, a Christian that makes promises when he's scared. Forget about it later. When I was in 20, 21, 20, that's when I became free indeed. That's not just when, you know, when I honored John 8, 36, right? You know, he was sunset's free is free indeed. But I started living it by reinforcing it with James 1, which says, do not merely be a hearer of the word, but a doer, yet deceiving yourself. That's when I started. I backslid 27, 28. It's been, I'm 35, bro. You know, I'm already growing white hairs and it's, my memory is going with it. I would say, if I had to say faithfully as of now without stumbling, a couple years, yeah, years. Years, years, but knowing God and living with God, give or take 13. Amen. Can you, just in a nutshell, 
you know, what has Jesus done in your life? You went through a lot. You know, you got involved in witchcraft, you know, almost unintentionally, you know, it was introduced to you. So a lot of uh, traumatic things in your life, a lot of things that would leave people either in jail um, or dead, right? And um, um, you're able to be here alive, testify that Jesus saved you. But if you could kind of give us an insight into that as to what God has done in these last several years. I'm so grateful. I've done my time. You know, I have. I've been locked up correctional facilities for youth. What has God not done in my life? I'm alive. You know, by the word of my testimony, I'm, I'm, I'm letting people know that he can do the same to you if you're stuck in the hood thinking that a casket's, a casket's the only way out. He has redeemed me, not just inside and out, but mentally. I had a lot of mental health issues. You know, the things that I was told, the things that I went through. He has truly set me free in a way where I know that when I'm at home in a dark room, sitting in the bed, feeling alone, that he's there with me. When I feel like my worth is small or nothing like I used to before that breakthrough, that he says, hey, you call yourself worthy, but I call you worthy because I die for you. The king that stepped out of eternity, not knowing any suffering, any hunger, any pain, come down and take it all from me. We now have a ministry that the Lord blessed us with. It's his ministry called Parson Fam Outreach. Now what we do is, um, now that we have eight, you know, we had our babies like Luna and, you know, uh, we have eight of them now. It's kind of hard to do with babysitters, you know. Uh, so I go by myself. I usually don't post it. I'm over this whole wearing t-shirts with my ministry name in it. You know, it has Jesus in it, but it's in the end of it. You know, my ministry name in the first, or I'm over this whole, hey, look at what I did. I went to, you know, a thousand souls got saved and glory to God. Amen. You know what I mean? Like, so I just go, I hit the streets. I walk here. Uh, it's called South Tucson. Um, it's a one mile, one mile radius. Back in 20, 2012, no, not 2012, like 20, 2018-ish or whatever, quote me if I'm wrong, there's a year. We had more 911 calls than Vegas had in a single night, right? Um, things like that. Now, I walk the streets. I start at 7 to 2, 3 in the morning, inviting other Christians that are North Solid. You know, another ones that want to experience this, and I teach them outreach, urban outreach, right? We walk the streets like I used to in the hood life, right? Wearing my, my, my pro club, my dickies and everything. But now I walk it the same manner to take territory back for Jesus. And I started that here in Tucson, Arizona, in regards of like this kind of ministry. These are the ministries that do it. And as well, which the powerful, beautiful ministries. And I look for trap houses. I go to hotels, uh, which are located in South Tucson. I discovered three more and in the north side too. We call it Murder Ave, South Six, right? And then uh, there's, a, there's an area called that people know of Prostitution Valley. There's a hotel that was um, that was taken over by by this drug dealer that used to go and he drives around, you know, downtown and South Six at nighttime, telling you know people, women in prostitution, like, hey, you sleeping in the streets? Yeah. Are you hungry? Yeah. What if I give you your own apartment? You don't have to pay bills. I'll pay for it. Uh, okay, it's too good to be true. I'll give you food. And you're going to make money, but you got to work for me. So he takes them to this hotel, which is an apartment complex now, pretty much. And he gives them one. No bills, no nothing. You live freely. You smoke as much fentanyl and any other trash you want. I'll even give it to you for free. But they prostitute for him. And uh, there's it's filled with them. I mean, and there's drug dealers back and forth. There's drug labs everywhere. And I go there. I just look for the doors that have men waiting outside, lined up on their phones. 
playing video games, you know, shooter games on their phone as they're waiting for the next guy to be done with her. And I go, knock. Preach the gospel. They get really upset with me because after that, you know, women either want to shut the door and not continue or they all want to beat me and tell me to leave. I walk it with respect and love. My job is to plant the seed and the Lord will bring someone else to water it. I ain't trying to, I ain't trying to drown the seed. So that's what I do. Um, I talk to people like addicts and I tell them, look, homie, look. I want to know where the drug labs are. I want to know where the stash houses are because I want to go over there and just pray for them. I'm not going to go and rob them. Are you sure? Like, yeah, dude, I know this is, I'm a man of God. You know, I'm a minister. I'm a pastor for the Lord. And, you know, he sends me out here to do this will. I focus on gang affiliated or ex-gang affiliated. Anybody that's mafia or ex-mafia drug dealers and as well as addicts. General public too. The broken... Uh, homeless. I do all that. I get tips of where the drug labs are, where they're cooking up the fentanyl, the meth. And I go over there and I tell them you're anonymous. I'm just going to say I'm out here outreaching. And I try to talk to the people. Um, I have a little bit of luck with that, but I just continue to go. I don't care. I mean, you kill me, I go to heaven, you go to prison. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. So until I'm alive, I'm going to live for Christ, right? So having that said, I ask the Lord to do something that not even the police is doing or the justice system. You put them in prison, all right, good for you. They're just going to come back out and do it all over again. So God's working, right? We go to Mexico. We have an orphanage out there that we support. The, the government out there told them that they need to stop with the Jesus stuff and, you know, grounding it in Christ or they're going to pull the funding. So they pulled the funding because they said no. So I take 400 pounds of chicken, Parson Fam Outreach, you know, through, through that. It's a ministry that my family and I go together. My ministry is my wife. My kids that are soldiers, then go preach out there. And I take them to, to Murder Ave with me. They walk it with me um, in groups. And, and, and they ain't scared. And they're out there preaching in the trap houses and, 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 and the prostitution hotels and the drug labs with me. It's some place I don't take them. We go to Nogales and I grill. Or in un disco. No sé cómo se dice en inglés. It's a, it's a disc filled with oil with like a torch bottom. And it cooks the oil all hardcore. And you throw a whole fish and it cooks it. We cook the chicken. It's with an amazing church, Vida Abundante, down there that, you know, we work with, we're partnered with, that, that their church congregation serves. Pastor Thirso is a pastor of that church. Amazing man of God. And we cook all 400 pounds of chicken. And then churches and, and other ministries, I'm partnered with a couple of ministries and a couple of churches out here. They donate clothes, baby cribs, baby chairs, baby clothes, um, hygiene, formula. There's a doctora uh, Ochoa. She, she uh, donates formula which is my kid doctor and a bunch of stuff. So we take it out there. Um, I don't ask for money. The Lord blessed me to be a healthcare worker, right? At the hospital. I used to be loud and proud and oh, I'm a hardcore end time gangster, for, you know, and this and this and that. And now the Lord taught humbleness. Are you really? Because you seem to talk a lot about your achievements versus what I can do for others. So that transition and, and that's what we do. I go out looking, I'm praying in Jesus name that I can get connected with some type of um, gang or even if it's mafia, just to pray for them, yeah. to tell them that Jesus loved them, that protection over their families is possible through Jesus Christ, submission and love and everything that I it just speak testimony to them out of love. And that's what I be focused now. The Lord given us um, the grace and love and mercy and the vision and the provision for it to make it happen, to seek people that most Christians are afraid of and don't think that um, they can reach. Yeah. Paul, who is Jesus to you? He's my all-consuming. He's my everything. I mean, he's not just the son of God. He's not just, 
my father, my lover, my redeemer. He's not just the one that, that every time I'm weak, I latch onto because he gives me strength. Jesus is the father that I never had. He is the one that allows me to lead my family in a way that I wanted when I didn't know him. He's the one that saved my life. He's the one that has utilized me and, and, and my 11-year-old son going to a jewelry store to get my wife some ice, you know, and, and just to like, pimp her out, just spoil my baby girl. Healed a man with the knee brace. He took it off. He could walk. His brother, for, for seven years, I believe they said, he had this disability in his back. He hunched. He couldn't stand up straight. Stood up straight in tears. My 11-year-old son, Joe, Joe Parson. He's the God that showed me that I'm worth more than what I made myself feel than anything and everything that I believed. He allows me to love my wife like a real man loves a woman, like the church, willing to die for her, willing to give everything for her. He's the one who called me worthy in the moments that I felt that I was a piece of trash. And if I were to go back, I'm still a piece of trash without God. Same old old thug, good for nothing, pushing away the one man that gave me everything through his, through his death and resurrection. So who God is to me? God to me, he's a real G. He's a, he, he, he's a real gangster. He's my everything. Paul, can you just give a word of encouragement to those who are watching, who want to be fearless for God, who want to be soldiers uh, for Jesus, and maybe are having doubts or you know feel worried or scared or whatever the situation may be, could you just give a word of encouragement to those who are watching? Yes, sir. May I read a scripture? We finished this interview. There's no scripture. It was for nothing. Let's go to uh, chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians, verse 22. It says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeliness of God in true righteousness and holiness. My encouragement to you would be to awake, O sleeper. And this goes all the way to verse chapter 5 of Ephesians 14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. My friend, if you're out there and you're stuck in the thug life, if you've been dece deceived your whole life or recently that you're worth nothing, that you're not able to live a normal life, to bless others, to provide for your families, to get rid of this depression that's drowning you in suicidal thoughts. When people look at you like you're some good for nothing thug, when you feel like you cannot be the father, the husband that you would want to be, I encourage you to consider Jesus Christ, the man who is waiting for you so you can let him in in your heart and your mind to consume it all. My friend, don't waste and don't, don't wait until you lose your life to realize that this right here was a true living word of God. Don't wait until you're dying to seek God. Don't wait until you lose your family or lose it all. Addiction can't give you no peace. It gives you a high that will give you a low. Alcohol, it'll give you a buzz, but you will crash. Hold on to Jesus. That gives you a high that you never come off of. Hold on to God. Seek God, your family, your friends, you, you deserve better, my friend. I am a self-taught man, self-taught father, self-taught anything and everything you can think of.
in God's kingdom, of course, and through his likeliness. If you have somebody that wants to teach you, wants to love you, wants to help you, be humble and receive it. Lastly, Paul, could you just pray for those who are watching your testimony right now and uh, are ready to receive God, are ready to have him be Lord of their life? Yes, sir. Father God, we, uh, we come humbly before you, Father, as your children, Lord obedient father god carrying out your will lord to the to the far ends of the earth lord where you have us go lord lord we come to you father god as your soldiers father god ready lord ephesians 6 armor on to go to war and to give our lives for you lord father we come as your servants as your friends lord wanting and desiring to do your will I pray in the name of Jesus, Father God, that every single soul that listens to this message, Father, this testimony, Father, that they will see you, that there'll be no awe in anything that I said, but if everything that I spoke about you, Lord, I pray, Father God, that you give vision to those who are blind, Lord, that you open the mouth to those who can't speak, that are muted, that are silenced by the enemy, Lord. Father God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you help your church be doers of the word, Father, so that they can be your hands and feet in this earth. Every thug out there, Lord, every addict, my Lord, every homeless person, every, every escort woman suffering the lifestyle of prostitution, Father God, I pray that you reach them where they are, Lord. And I pray that the churches won't close their door, but receive them, Lord, as that's the place you created, Father, for us, the remnants, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus, my Lord, that you protect them and their families. I speak a hedge of protection over their families, over their minds, over their hearts, over their homes. In the name of Jesus Christ, cover them with your precious blood, Father God. Allow them to feel the love, Lord, that you showed me. The security, Father God, that you give me, Lord. The passion and the drive to speak of you against all odds. Guns pointed at them, Lord. Knives. There's nothing the enemy can do to hold them back, Father God, once you redeem them. Now, if anybody's watching this, pray after me if you'd like to accept the Lord and live this lifestyle of, of righteousness to the fullest extent possible and experience the miracles that I've experienced in Jesus' name. Father God, I humbly come before you. I ask you to come into my life to consume my mind and my heart with your love, with your righteousness, with your mercy. I repent in the name of Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus, the Son of God, your Son, Lord, came down to die for me and rose again the third, Lord. I believe and receive, Father God, this salvation willingly. Strengthen me. Love me and encourage me. Help me be the man. Help me be the woman that you created me to be. Not that this world is teaching me to be. I thank you and I love you. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I receive all of your goodness. I rebuke every demonic spirit that is operating in my life. I cast you out. I rebuke you. I loosen you. In the name of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you, Lord, for this victory. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody. I hope the new testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help, that we have people that are ready to speak with you. So down in the description box below, in the comment section, uh, if you're watching from YouTube, if you're listening from our podcast, just look for the link that says, talk to someone who cares. Click on that, fill out the form, and somebody will get in contact with you locally. Now, this is only available to people in the U.S. right now, but we are working to get resources for our international viewers and listeners. But for right now, if you are in the U.S. and you need help, you need to talk with somebody, please fill out that form and somebody will reach out to you. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next testimony.